Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. So good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Jackie Vanderveld, and it's my great pleasure to be hosting this next uh, VPC live event for the Victorian Parents Council. So uh, the first in a series of uh, excellent webinars that we're going to be having uh, on sleep, which is uh, clearly has been a big issue uh, that parents are dealing with at home, not just for themselves, but also uh, with their school age children, um, particularly the, after last year and uh, obviously going into this year, we've got some uh, interesting sleep habits uh, happening. So our special guest this evening is uh, Dr. Julia Stone. Um, welcoming Julia. Julia is a research fellow at Monash University. Uh, she has an expertise in sleep and chronobiology, and I'm, I've already put on notice that I'm asking a question about that, but I don't know what that is. Um, her research interests include the role of individual differences in circadian rhythms and sleep on health and performance. Uh, and uh, she is currently leading a longitudinal study examining sleep circadian timing, mood and academic performance in adolescence. And that all squishes down into the very, very handy CLASS study, C-L-A-S-S study. So um, that makes it a little bit easier to remember, adolescent school class. Um, I think we're in good shape. So welcome, Julia. Beautiful. All right. Thank you very much, Jackie. And thank you to the Victorian Parents Council for having me here this evening to speak to you all. Uh, today, I'm going to talk to you about a research study that we are currently running, um, looking at sleep, mood and learning in teenagers, and also give you a bit of information about how you could potentially get involved in some exciting research. So what is sleep? Most of you probably know what it is. It's certainly one of my favourite parts of every day. Um, scientifically, when we're talking about sleep, we describe it as a natural state of rest where physically and mentally you're switching off you're effectively unconscious for several hours every night. Uh, but physiologically, sleep remains quite an active process. So your brain is still busy recovering and regenerating ready for another day. So when we get enough good quality sleep, we tend to have more positive mood and feelings. This can include lower stress levels. We may feel more resilient and less irritable around others, which can all help improve your day-to-day -day relationships and general well-being. Healthy sleep is also related to better physical health. So when we get enough sleep, we tend to feel more energetic. We also have a healthier immune system. And that means that the body is in a much better position to fight off illnesses and to prevent the development of diseases like diabetes or heart disease later in life. And healthy sleep also helps us with our thinking and cognition. So this includes things like maintaining attention and concentration, keeping up with learning and remembering things, um, which all make for better performance in school and with learning and your day-to-day -day lives. And it also means that you have a lower risk of making mistakes or having accidents that could lead to injuries. But how much sleep do teenagers need to be well-rested and get the benefits of healthy sleep? I can't quiz you all, uh, but you can maybe think of how much you think it is before I tell you the answer. Um, basically, the recommended amount of sleep for teenagers is eight to 10 hours. But we do know from lots of studies now that at least 70% of teens don't get enough sleep, especially on school nights, um, and particularly during those senior years of school, which 
is really when things are getting down to crunch time in terms of schooling. There are a lot of competing factors that affect sleep. There are, for example, multiple biological changes, changes in hormones and how sleep is regulated in the brain that tend to promote later sleep and wake times in teenagers. There are also the things that we do before bed that contribute to when we're going to sleep, which is no different for teenagers. So things like using devices, getting lots of bright light exposure in the evening, or doing really active things like talking and engaging with friends on social media or playing games, all can play a role in delaying bedtime. Our social lives also influence how and when we sleep. Um, so in particular for teenagers, early school start times mean waking up early can often lead to not getting enough sleep when you combine that with a later bedtime. And similar to that, we have a lot of academic or social demands that can influence when we get to sleep. So for example, needing to complete homework or pulling an all-nighter um, to finish an assignment late at night or waking up early for sport like rowing or something like that. Um, all play into this really complicated picture that um, can make it hard to get enough sleep in amongst a busy and fulfilling life schedule. And we also know that having a really good sleep environment can be important for getting that good quality sleep. So things like sleeping in a dark and quiet room that's free of distractions or disruptions. And of course, our mental and physical health can also play into how well we're sleeping. And that is especially true in teenagers. So one of the biggest reasons um, that we are very interested in looking at um, that teenagers don't get enough sleep is this natural delay that occurs in the internal body clock that emerges, um, which biologically promotes sleep to occur later and waking later in the morning. So I promise this is the only graph that I'm going to show you tonight, um, but this one basically shows the midpoint of sleep along this line here. So people who... Um, are sleeping and waking really later at the top um, and really early down the bottom. And then this is plotted by age. And the main thing to notice here is that uh, between those ages of 14 and 20 during adolescence, sleep timing really does get a lot later. And then as you age across the lifespan, it gets a bit earlier again. So teens with a delayed body clock often find that they are really alert and wide awake late at night, um, meaning they have trouble falling asleep and then can then have trouble getting up in the morning. So physically, this can feel a little bit like jet lag, or if I asked you to wake up a lot earlier than normal, say like 3 a.m., you might feel really groggy, you might feel a bit nauseous, you might be grumpy, probably not going to be very happy with me for waking you up. Um, and that's because I've woken you at a time that your body clock is really strongly promoting being asleep, so it doesn't want to be awake. Um, and this is what it feels like for those delayed teens' body clocks when you wake them up at 6 or 7 in the morning for school. So not surprisingly, perhaps with that context, this can lead to feeling really sleepy or moody and having difficulty thinking throughout the day. And then we often tend to see long sleep-ins over the weekend and during the holidays to try and catch up on that lost sleep that they didn't get during the week. Um, and I'm not sure if some of you may have seen this yet or if you remember from when you were a teenager, but I definitely know that when I was a teenager, I could easily sleep till midday or 1pm on weekends, which I certainly can't quite manage to achieve anymore. This all said, there are still plenty of things that we as researchers don't yet know. Um, among them is how exactly the body clock changes over those teenage years. So when exactly does it change and how does that occur? And how do these changes in the body clock affect teenagers' school performance and their mental health over time? So 
that's why we're running the CLASS study. The CLASS study um, stands for the Circadian Light in Adolescence, Sleep and School Study, so Handling Becomes CLASS. It's a longitudinal research study funded by the Australian Research Council, and we started this study in late 2019, and we're continuing for the next few years. And essentially, we are investigating how teens body clocks and sleep patterns change as they grow older, how exposure to their light affects the body clock, and then how changes in their sleep patterns affect teenagers' mood and thinking and their academic performance in school. So this is quite a large project. It's based at Monash University, where I am based, um, and we also have collaborations with international sleep experts at Harvard and Brown University. So for this study, we are currently recruiting Year 7 students who are living in Melbourne uh, who have access to a smartphone to participate. Participation goes starts in Year 7 and then we follow them through to Year 9. And it involves a mixture of different activities, including completing surveys and tracking your sleep at home, uh, visits to Monash where we measure your body clock, and academic performance as well. Um, so there's quite a few things that we have teenagers do in this study. So let's have a little bit of a closer look at what we're measuring. First, we're measuring the timing of sleep and exposure to light, which we do during school term two weeks every six months. This involves wearing a special um, research grade watch. It's a little bit like a Fitbit um, and it monitors sleep timing by tracking movement. So you just wear it on the wrist and it does the work for you. We also ask questions every day about sleep timing and mood on a mobile phone app, which is why they need access to a smartphone. And we also use a specialised research sensor, which is worn as a necklace, um, which measures light levels. And this sensor is really cool because it lets us measure light in the way that your body clock sees it. So the body clock is really sensitive to blue or short wavelength light. And this sensor lets us measure the spectrum of light, so how blue or not blue the light environment is, as well as how bright your light environment is. So it might not look too fancy, but it gives us really useful information about your light environment as you wear it. Once a year, participants come and do a body clock assessment. It's always on a Friday evening during school term. And we do this at Monash University in a special room that is set up kind of similar to a movie theatre. Um, so there's lots of rows of seating and there's a big screen. And the purpose of this visit is to measure the natural timing of the body clock. And we do that by collecting saliva samples every hour for seven hours. The saliva is collected by sucking on a special cotton ball that we have for a few minutes. And then from that, we can measure the amount of melatonin in the saliva over time. Melatonin is a naturally occurring hormone that can tell us the time of your internal body clock. So these visits involve sitting in the dark because light can disrupt our measurement of melatonin. And between samples, we show movies and we have snacks available like popcorn. So really it's like going to the movies, but providing saliva samples every now and again. And we run these sessions in groups. So if you sign up, teenagers can participate with their friends and they can do this activity together, which makes it a little bit more fun. And then in year seven and year nine, we also measure academic performance by looking both at the NAPLAN results and also by doing some of our own tests. So some short reading and writing tasks also at Monash Uni. And we also do a sleep interview where we ask questions about teen sleep and that visit goes for about an hour. So what is in, what's in it for the participants? 
First and foremost, participating is a really great way to contribute to our increasing scientific knowledge about sleep and mood and learning, and the results from the study are going to help inform interventions that will ultimately help other teens in the future. It also gives uh, participants first-hand experience in how scientific research is done. Um, a lot of the um, measurements are they do themselves, so they really get a front row seat to, to participating in, in science. And participants also get a certificate of achievement from Monash University at the end of the study, which is actually really great for resumes if you're looking for your first job and looking for something to, to put on that CV. That's something we can provide. Parents and the teens are also reimbursed for their time and effort in the study and we send a movie voucher on the teenager's birthday every year that they are participating. And we also provide personalised feedback at the end of the study with information about the teen's sleep and learning, which can be a really awesome thing to see. Our participants put in so much time and effort into collecting all of these measures that we like to give a bit of a snapshot back to them so that they can see how things changed for them over time as well. Uh, so if you are interested in joining the study or if you know someone who is, uh, you can fill in an expression of interest form. I'll put a link to it in the chat um, or there's a QR code on the screen. And basically from there, we follow up and send much more information. It covers more detail about the different measures and the steps we take to ensure that your information is kept confidential and safeguard your privacy. Um, and I'll note that consent is required from both parents and the teenagers themselves to participate and all of the procedures are approved by the Human Research Ethics Committee at Monash Uni. Uh, you could also help us, oh, sorry, you could also help us by sharing our information and sign up link to anyone who might be interested in participating if they live in Melbourne. Um, or if you work at a school or a community group, we also are happy to provide short sleep health seminars to students and their parents to help promote the study, but also to promote healthy sleep in teens, which, of course, we're passionate about. Um, and I will also just point out that my colleague, Dr. Bay Bay, will be presenting at another one of these sessions in a couple of weeks, um, talking about healthy sleep for teens and what parents should know. So she's an absolute expert in this area. She is a clinician researcher. Um, who works in um, adolescent sleep. So if you're interested in more tips and tricks, you can come along to that talk as well. But at that, I might stop there and we can do some questions. Terrific. Thank you very much, Julia. Okay, so I've got to ask this question. What is chronobiology? <laughs> Great question, Jackie. Um, it's basically a fancy word for the field of study in circadian rhythms. So basically we have a body clock that regulates all of your processes in your body um, and chronobiology is the study of, of those rhythms. Uh, and, and how does that help us? So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm drawing some, some, uh, some lines here. Uh, so we've got a number of schools have already observed what you were talking about in some of that preliminary data, which is, you know, our, our adolescents sleep later they're not so great first thing in the morning and we've got schools who are changing uh, that so that are changing their timetables for example so that those the older students start a bit later in the day uh, so and, and I have to say that sort of had mixed reviews some schools it says work, it's worked brilliantly others have said it's just been a bit of a disaster so is this the sort of thing that your um, that your study the results will actually help inform yeah, exactly right. Um, there's a there's a number of studies that have been conducted, a lot of them in the US where school starts even earlier for teenagers than it does in Australia. Um, but there's a lot of research now coming out that shows that pushing school start times later into the morning can really help 
lead to improvements in sleep and also downstream effects in terms of mood and learning for teenagers. So our study is really excellent because it's prospective. So we're following that change as it develops and that will help us to understand some of the mechanisms. So how things start to delay and how things change for teenagers. And that's the kind of information that you need to really develop good interventions because you know then what to target. Um, so potentially it could lead to informing those sorts of changes. Awesome. Thank you. So I have to keep hitting the mute. The, the dogs just decided to bark outside the door, which is, of course, normal procedure in the house. I, so I'm going into a going into a webinar. Everyone forgets to take the dog. Everyone forgets to take the dog. Um, and we should say to everyone online too that um, uh, we that the Victorian Parents Council is a community partner in this um, in the study. So um, because it, sleep was one of the issues that has come up constantly in a lot of the surveys that we um, that we put out to people uh, and. Uh, so we thought this year to to honor honor the interest that we would uh, we would get in touch with uh, Julia and and uh, and Bay who you'll be hearing from later in the um, later in the month uh, to talk about you know to talk all about this. So um, now questions come in: How much sleep is best for a twelve and a fifteen year old? Is that something that you could you could perhaps give us a little bit of guidance on? <laughs> So the recommendations for teenagers is to get between eight and 10 hours of sleep every night. Um, and that's what's been shown time and time again in the studies to be the amount of sleep that you need at that age, yeah. between eight and 10, between ideally nine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, I've moved back. I'm a little bit older than you now and I can definitely sleep until lunchtime if I'm, if I've given the opportunity, that's for sure. <laughs> um, circadian rhythms. Can you just go over that? In, you know, like 101 for dummies? <laughs> Certainly. So circadian rhythms are effectively the rhythms that govern that body clock that I was talking about. So in your brain, there is a body clock or a pacemaker, and it's basically the conductor for timing everything that your body does. So for timing when you're going to feel sleepy or when you're going to feel alert during the day or for timing your metabolism or for timing your immune response, basically everything works to a clock um, and that clock gets synchronised to our 24-hour day by light exposure. So that by synchronised, that just means that your body knows when it's time to go to sleep and when it's time to wake up. Um, and circadian rhythms or the study of circadian rhythms is what I'm particularly interested in in terms of what happens when they're well aligned with, with your social schedule or what happens when they're not well aligned. So for example, shift workers often have to be a work at night, at work at night when their body clock is saying really strongly, you should be asleep. Um, and so the kinds of problems that happen there are also what we're interested in. And so the little the device that they'll be like the, the Fitbit type arrangement they're going to be wearing, and you mentioned blue light, does that mean that it will pick up on devices that do emit blue light if they're using those, you know, at night? Yeah, exactly. It won't tell us exactly what you've got in front of us, in front of you, but it will tell us what the light that was coming at the device looks like. So if you have, you're shining a telephone that has lots of blue light at it, it will pick up that there's lots of blue light. Mm. And can you tell us what the blue light actually does? I mean, we hear about this a lot. Um, people go, oh, it emits blue light. <laughs> What's the, yeah. what? And we go, oh, okay, blue light bad. But what does that actually mean? Great question. So 
basically your circadian rhythms are set by when you're getting light exposure and it's really sensitive to blue light because daylight outside is full of blue light. So it's really well attuned to go blue light, daytime, time to be awake. Um, and so if you're getting lots of blue light in the evening when it's dark outside, it essentially sends a confused signal to your body clock and that your body clock sees the blue light and thinks it's daytime, we've got to be awake. Whereas um, if you have less blue light and it's dim, your body clock knows, okay, it's nighttime, we're going to wind down, we're going to go to sleep. Um, and if you get too much light in the evening, lots of nights in a row, your body clock starts to shift later and it gets really tricky to, to go to sleep at your normal bedtime. But on the flip side, blue light in the morning is good because it says it's daytime, it's time to be awake, it's time to be alert. So you don't necessarily want no blue light ever. It's it's more about trying to manage when you're getting the blue light. Oh, that's interesting. What sort of question comes through in the chat? So you said if you're getting blue light regularly late at night, that shifts your shifts your body clock so how long does it take to move it back if that's the case so it's a couple of days is it a few nights in a row to to, to move it or and then how do you move it back yeah great question it depends a little bit on how much light and and when when you're getting exposure to it a general rule of thumb is you can move about an hour a day Another way you can kind of think of how quickly it can happen is if you go overseas, and obviously you can't go overseas right now, um, but back in the before times when you could go overseas and you have to adapt to an entire new time zone, initially you'll feel really jet lagged, you'll feel really horrible and you're, you'll try and be awake at the wrong time because your body clock's still on Australian time and you'll find that after a few days on the new time zone, getting light at the right times, you'll you'll adapt. So it's, it's a similar thing, but it can happen in your home if you're getting too much light in the evening. Okay, interesting. So thank you for that question. That was a that was a really good question. Do people who are going to, well, the young people and the, and the parent, will they see their data, their personal data? Yes, in that we'll give them a, a personalised report at the end of the study. Um, we won't be able to show it as we go. Um, so, for example, the activity watch that you wear won't tell you when you're sleeping. You won't be able to get much out of it. Um, but we'll we'll give you a summary at the end if you're interested in that. Okay, I think I think a lot of parents probably probably would be. Will <laughs> uh, will being part of the study actually impact on anything like school attendance or? activities that they are there any activities they can and can't do great question um we are not disrupting school in any way so anything that they need to do happens outside of school hours um, and we're not trying to control anything or provide any kind of intervention it's more about observing what happens um, out in the real world at the moment so we wouldn't be preventing them from doing anything that they would normally do yeah, good. And I've got another another questions coming. <laughs> uh, does physical activity, say after six or six pm or later, affect teens' ability to sleep? It's a really good question. I'm not sure if the activity itself will mean that they can't get to sleep unless they're trying to sleep at seven pm. Maybe they'll still be a bit worked up. I suppose it's it's more thinking about what doing physical activity at 6pm will do to the rest of your schedule? Like, Does that mean that dinner is later and bedtime is then later? But I think the jury is still out a little bit about whether that would shift the body clock later. 
Yeah, that's interesting because I know that when our um, children were at school, it was a lot of training, like, you know, for their sports teams would be, could be quite late. It could go through till, you know, quite late. And yes, it was, everything was pushed back. So those nights weren't necessarily good nights for us. (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) uh, What will participants get if they do sign up for the study? What sort of, uh, are there incentives for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I went through a few of them on the slides. Um, So we we do give uh, movie vouchers on their birthday every year that they're in the study and the report that I talked about. We also get a certificate at the end, um, but we also do um, cash reimbursements because it does take a bit of time um, to participate and we do that throughout the study and it's basically based on how much information they get through by survey or if they come to visit Monash Um, and the parents get some reimbursement as well for bringing them out. For bringing them out. Okay. So it's not huge, folks. You're not going to be having a career. (laughs) I wouldn't resign, wouldn't, wouldn't give up your day jobs, but it's certainly... No, exactly. <laughs> certainly there to reimburse, reimburse some of the costs. Um, so, and we, we've got the links there and we've also got some uh, information on the... That's okay, no worries. The person who asked that question, they... they um, Okay, the ideal num- hours of sleep, they missed that because the audio was on. We said uh, between 8 and 10 hours. Is that right, Julia? Yeah. That's between right. eight and ten hours, yes. So I was listening. So that's okay. Between eight and ten hours is, is recommended. So we are we do have information about the about the study. So the link that's in the chat, but we will also put it on our on our social media and on our website, so people can uh, look look at that. Uh, you can sign up from there. The participant information um, participant information statement is also on the website. So people can, um, parents can have a look and see, um, you know, information there about the ethics and, and so on that, that have been, um, that have had an approval for the study. So that's all there. So another question is, can my young person, my adolescent, participate at the same time as their friends? Absolutely. They both sign up um, and they both agree. We do the data collection in groups um, and in rounds. So if they sign up at a similar time and, we can put them in the same group if you let us know. We can have it so they can go through it and do it together. Terrific. Um, now, is there anything else that we need to know, Julia? Oh, hopefully I've done my job and explained, yeah, been explained the study. <laughs> if there's, I suppose the main thing is just that if you're interested or have any questions, feel free to reach out to us either by signing the expression of interest link, in which case we'll send you more information, um, or we have an email address as well that you can contact us at or contact me at any time. We're happy to answer questions. Terrific. And just a reminder to everyone that we do have all of that information uh, on our website, on social media, and, uh, and reach out because um, I think this is certainly something that we have had lots and lots of questions about and we know that good good and healthy sleep is something that, well, I think it's been a challenge. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a growing challenge for our young people um, and it certainly has been a huge challenge uh, with some of the habits that we were forming um, when we were in lockdown over last year. Uh, and uh, I know that one of the things that was fed back to us quite regularly um, across last year was 
this was an issue before, but it's a lot, a lot more of a challenge um, in this year as a result. So uh, VPC, we 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 do uh, we advocate for um, essentially for parents in non-government schools, but we warmly welcome all parents um, to be part of the work that we are doing. Uh, so uh, you know, events like this we make available to all parents who are interested. Um, who've got school-aged children, um, we warmly welcome you to be part of the work that we're doing. Um, there's information there about how, on the website about how to become a member of VPC, whether it be as an individual or if you're part of a parent organisation in your school and you would like your parent organisation to become a, a member as well. So if you have any queries about that, um, there's email, you can let us know. We'll, we'll get back to you with, with, uh, with that information, but you can sign up directly from the website and there are lots of resources there. Um, there are free resources. They're open to everyone, but there's also a lot of resources there for members. Um, and this sort of study is the type of thing that we like to um, get involved with because we know that there are some real benefits to come to participants, but also, too, we really look forward to seeing the results of the research, Julia, because this is a, a big issue for parents um, as, they're, as they're navigating adolescence with their, uh, with their young people at home. Okay, everyone, join me in thanking uh, Dr. Julia Stone and uh, we've got more events coming up on sleep uh, and so they're on the website. Please register, share the information with your friends and family and we look forward to having you with us again. Thanks very much, everyone. Good evening. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sidney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.